What is up? How are you guys doing? Good morning. Welcome to church. My name is Jeff. I'm the Appleton Campus Pastor. So great to have you here crunching on popcorn. I love to hear it. Come on. And I just want to hear of the pop soda. You know what I mean? Come on. Soda, pop, if you call it soda, leave. But it's all good. So we're so glad to have you here. Uh, if you don't know, today is Abby and mine last Sunday as campus pastors. And uh, I'm an extremely emotional guy. And so I'm not going to say anything now. I'm going to say that to the end of service because no one wants to see an overweight guy in tight jeans blubbering. So, and, uh, and I'm wearing this jacket because you can't see my spanks. And so uh, if you hug me and you think my back is extra hard, it's because it's a rap. Anyways, um, raps. But today we are starting a brand new series called At the Movies, and uh, we're going to be talking through one of my favorite movies, as you just saw the clip, The Greatest Showman. And really, uh, what we're doing through this series is showing that movies, uh, that there's a modern day, almost a parable, where we can kind of take that story and tell you a story about Jesus and, and about the gospel. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of insight about the movie, if you haven't seen it before. And uh, P.T. Barnum uh, is the main character in this in this movie, and he he starts this circus and this whole uh, idea that he's had. And from childhood, he's a guy who's really eccentric, and he's got this natural talent for just gathering people together and for promoting things. And uh, growing up, PT man, he faced a lot of trials, uh, yet he never became a victim to his circumstances. And after trying his hand at various jobs, even getting fired or having his job ended, as you saw in that scene, because they went bankrupt. He turns to show business to indulge his limitless imagination and his absolutely incredible creativity. And he creates something called the Barnum and Bailey Circus. What makes PT unique is he had an eye for others that many people overlooked. He had an eye for those who people thought were worthless. PT had this incredible way of flipping a situation into more than enough spectacles. He, he had this incredible way to create things and make things incredibly special. And his, no, his approach was by no means traditional, okay? I mean, he took a less than traditional way to create his dream and to make a difference in this world. And, and it's really interesting. And I want to go through that a little bit. But before I do, let's take a clip from this movie before we dive into this message. Turn your attention to the screen. Check this out. You must be Gertrude Stratton. I'm looking for your son. I don't have a son. The hospital record says you do. Charles, right? Age 22? Charles! Charles! T. Barnum, at your service. I am putting together a show, and I need a star. You want people to laugh at me? Well, they're laughing anyway, kid, so might as well get paid. I see a soldier, no, a general, riding across the stage with a sword and a gun and... and and the most beautiful uniform ever made. People will come from all over the world, and when they see him, they won't laugh. 
They'll salute. How's it looking, girls? Hey, you looking for freaks? I know where you can find one of them. Really? Come on, girls. Hello. Sir, you shouldn't be here. I'm sorry. I, who's doing this thing? It's you, isn't it? Sir, I have to ask you to leave. You are so talented, blessed. Beautiful. <laughs> Sir, please leave me alone. They don't understand, but they will. W.D. Wheeler, brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Yes. Terrific. And what do you do? Uh, trapeze. Trapeze. Okay. You know, people aren't going to like it if you put us on the stage. Oh, I'm counting on it. This is so over your entire body. Terrific. I don't need to see it. How heavy you are. Do you have a number for that? I prefer not to say, Just but. Just between you and me. 500 pounds. 750 pounds? 750 pounds! <laughs> what is your name? Uh, Vasily Palavo, sir. Yeah, we're gonna change that name. Uh. I think you're Irish. We have a show. Come on, PT, he takes people that everyone thought were outcasts and were weird and strange, and he gives them a platform to use their giftings. And so if you'll allow me this morning, I want you to see a parallel to Jesus' ministry. And he takes the B-team people and uses them to create the greatest story in the history of the world. He uses fishermen. He uses prostitutes. He uses tax collectors. Jesus birthed the greatest movement in the history of the world through people that everyone was overlooking. Jesus, like PT, he was acquainted with grief and loss and rejection. He was, he was drawn to the lost and to the broken. Jesus also had a creative eye that left no situation the same. So I'm going to take you to John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. John chapter 4. It takes us to Samaria where we see Jesus in the middle of an unlikely situation with a woman who everyone thought was worthless. And Jesus approaches this situation. Today I want to give you a few takeaways from John chapter 4 as we see Jesus extending an invitation 
to a woman rejected and pushed away by society. And that Jesus wants to offer you this morning the same exact invitation. The first thing I want you to see before we get into this is this, is this always comes unexpected. The invitation from Jesus, it, it always comes unexpected. Let's read it in John chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. It's going to be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles. It says this, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Up to this point, Jesus had been traveling and his, his ministry had been increasing. In each and every city he went to, he had signs and wonders and miracles. And so his, his popularity was increasing as he traveled. And he was getting tired from his journey. And so he goes and he sits down at a well to rest. Now, the well was a social institution. It was a gathering place that had its own particular ritual, right? Like uh, the, woman of the, the women of the village would come to the well, and they would come typically in the evening when it was cooler to grab their water and bring it back home. And it was a social gathering. You can kind of think of it almost as a water cooler or, uh, or maybe a Keurig in your office. You know what I mean? You're just brewing some pike place, living the dream, talking about people in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? Like that's what you got to think of when you're thinking of this well. It was a social place as much as it was a necessity for them to survive and have water. So they went to this place not only to drink but also to connect. And, and this woman, she was coming to the well in the middle of the day. And now you have to understand that's very specific because she knew her name was the one that was being thrown around constantly at the water cooler. And she didn't want to go and be around the good people of the town while her name was being thrown through the mud. Isn't it interesting how good people can always find an excuse to do a bad thing called gossip? I can understand this woman's sentiment. Why go through the pain and the embarrassment of being avoided and ostracized and, and the object of village gossip? Why even go? Why be there? It isn't worth it. So she approaches instead in the middle of the day, in the middle of the heat. I mean, it is hot. I'm telling you, I don't like to be outside in the middle of summer in Wisconsin. And it was hot here. I'm telling you, because I'm sweating and it's, it's not good. She, she was going in an inconvenient and, and, and frankly, not fun time. And as she's walking up, I want you to picture this. As she's walking up, because she's doing this so intentionally, I bet she sees Jesus at the well, and she sees that he's a Jew. And, and here's, this is just my interpretation of it. She walks up. She's trying to avoid everyone. She's like, oh, great. He's a Jew. He's a rabbi. I mean, this is the worst. Because she's like, I, I don't want to be seen by anyone, and now I have to deal with this dude who's sitting over here by the well, and, and I don't really want to talk to anyone because I just want to sit in my own struggle. There's a couple things going on to note culturally. Jews do not deal with Samaritans. Culturally, Jews never had discussions with Samaritans. Jews never had public interactions with women other than their wives in public, which was still extremely rare. And very rare, if at all, men would go to wells during this time. So in the first few verses, without even saying a word, Jesus has broken all of the social norms that everyone else says you have to abide by, and he is sitting at a well in the middle of the day about to talk to a Samaritan woman. He is breaking down walls. Jesus is fully aware of his actions, and he is by no means being discreet about it. 
So if you can make the connection, like P.T. Barnum, Jesus had a plan, and there's nothing you could do to stop him. You and I are in his plan. No circumstance, no situation, nothing can stop him from inviting us into a conversation with him. In this movie, you see P.T. went after misfits, rejects, those who were less than, not enough, what society deemed nobodies, people whose own families told them they were worthless. Like P.T., Christ is consumed with the person despite the problem, with the person despite the circumstance. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's putting himself in a situation to encounter this woman intentionally. Now, I think we can read the Bible, and sometimes we don't see this, but you have to know that Jesus did this absolutely intentionally. It will come unexpected when you walk upon Jesus at a well when you really don't want to talk to anyone, whatever your well may be. But Jesus, it is not unexpected to him because he is doing it intentionally. This woman is coming to the well in the middle of the day, and Jesus is there. Now, Jews would break their back to go around Samaria. And in fact, they would do twice the journey to not have to interact with anyone like this woman. But yet Jesus said that he had to go through Samaria, which means that he had her in mind as he's going through a place that no one thought he should be. What I want you to see is that you may be walking through life and, and it may seem impossible. It may seem like I'm just struggling with the same thing. You may be hiding from your mistakes, your sins, and your struggles. Because what you expect to hear from people is that you're not good enough. What you expect to hear from people is lies. This week I got a call from the DEA that said I had lost my identity and that I had rented a car in Texas that someone had killed someone in and $22,000 of drugs had been sold in my name and I'm going to jail. And I'm sitting in the car <laughs> and I'm with Hudson and he's screaming, this is Friday afternoon. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm like freaking out. I'm like, what is happening? And then all of a sudden I text Abby and I'm like, this is, this is, what, what is, what, I'm going to jail, you know? Like, I'm asking this guy, I'm like, are you, I kept being like, are you serious? Like, is this a joke? She texted me an article that fake DEA calls have been going out and people have been giving thousands of dollars to these people overseas who are scamming you for your social security information. And I was like, I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to jail. You know, I'm going to lock up in Texas, no less, the worst place to be. You know, I'm like, this is horrible. But it was a lie. But I believed it. And you've believed lies too about yourself. Because people come in just like this guy whose life, I cannot understand how you just sit there and manipulate people as a job, but that's what they do. And there's been people who have come into your life and who have told you you're not worth it, who have told you that you're going under. And I want you to know that Jesus is going to come unexpectedly and he's going to tell you that you're worth it, that you're worth dying for, that you're worth loving, that he's cleared your name. doesn't matter what the fake DEA says. He's cleared your name. You are good enough to be around, to be spoken to, to be in a relationship with. Jesus is going to be there when you least expect it, and I want to argue he will be there when you least deserve it. He will be there. The second thing is this, it always requires faith. It always requires faith. The invitation always requires faith. 
Let's read this in John chapter 4 really quickly, verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered her. Her question is, you have no dealings with Samaritans. He says this. He says, if you knew the gift of God who would ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus uses this woman's physical need for water and he brings her into a conversation about how to sustain life in the, in, in, and how to have this spiritual development. This woman is not able to see beyond her circumstances. Her circumstances are pretty simple. I need water. I don't want to get water. Give me the water that I don't have to get anymore. I mean, it's pretty simple what she's trying to say. She clearly has no hope beyond the here and now. She's just trying to make it moment to moment. Jesus is speaking to her about something that she can place her hope in, something that she can have confidence in, but not something that she can see right now. And that's what faith is. The Bible says that faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. That's what Jesus is offering her. If you're going to live by faith, then you're going to have to move on a maybe then I'm just going to tell you sometimes you may have to move on a maybe. You might not have assurances. You might not think you need to have all the things in place, and so you want to figure it all out before you do something, before you take the next step. But you may have to move on a maybe. So before everything gets pieced together, maybe you have to move. Maybe you have to take the next step. Maybe God is calling me to do this. Maybe God is calling me to tithe. Maybe God is calling me to serve. Maybe God is calling me to be a part of a group and, and take the next step. Maybe God is doing that. If you're going to move forward with only what you can tangibly see, you are not ever going to move forward. You'll stay the same. Because if you can only tangibly see it, it means that you can only accomplish it, accomplish it and you'll be the only one getting the glory. You'll be the only one doing it. So if you're in the room today, and you're like me, you're like, well, I'm not sure. I want you to move on that maybe. Maybe I should fully devote my life to Jesus Christ and go all in. Maybe I should start serving at church. Maybe I should trust that what the Bible says is true, that if I give 10%, even though it looks like I'm going to be broke, that I need to do it and live in obedience. Maybe I need to take the next step of purity. Maybe. Can I just be honest with you? In our situation, we're moving on a maybe. Because I'm about 80% sure of anything God tells me. Anyone who's, anyone who's like, yeah, I'm about 110% sure that God tells you, that's probably not God. It's probably just you in a different form. I'm about 80% sure. So I'm moving on a maybe. And, and, I, and I, that's, what, that's where we're at in faith. I need to make this decision to move on a Maybe. Maybe this will work out. Maybe it won't. But that's where God requires faith and hope in the assurance, confidence in the assurance of Jesus and things that you cannot see. And you're putting faith in Jesus and he's asking you to move forward. And it's not going to feel secure. And it's not going to feel easy. It's going to feel like maybe I'm stepping out and I'm a lady with a beard. You know what I mean? Like it's going to feel strange sometimes but you need to move on a maybe. This isn't a new thing either. Just want you to know, like this is not something that's just happening to anyone in the room. Like this is not new. 
The Bible, countless times, Jesus has people move on a maybe. This woman at the well, he spoke of living water. To the aging Nicodemus, he spoke about being born again. What? To the man with the crippled hand, the hand that everyone made fun of him for. I mean, this guy could be in the movie, okay? The hand, like his hand, it's in, it's in the gospels. His hand is crippled and, everyone, and he's, he's really ashamed of it. And Jesus says, stretch that hand out in front of the whole church. Stretch that source of shame out. If you stretch it out, I'll heal it. Maybe. I'm not sure. To the sisters grieving their, the death of their brother, Jesus says, he will rise again. Maybe. Turns out he's the original thriller, you know what I mean? Come on. I mean, like, his name is Lazarus. You know, like, it's to the fishermen. They're fishing all night. And then Jesus says, hey, man, I know you're tired and you've been fishing for 14 hours, but you should throw your nets on the other side and you'll catch more than you ever would. So in my opinion, that's a maybe I'm going to throw it over there because I don't want to be out here any longer. And they catch double what they ever would have. You're going to move on a maybe. All scenarios have one thing. All these scenarios have one thing in common. Faith. Faith. It's like, okay, Jesus, let's do this. Check out this verse in Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is Jesus talking to a father who's saying, hey, my son is sick. I need healing. Jesus saying, if you believe, anything is possible. Step out in faith. See, PT in this movie he saw those who were different outwardly, but he chose to not discourage them, but he chose to encourage them inwardly. Countless times, he's helping his team believe in himself, believe in themselves, believe in the dream. More than money, P.T. Barnum's thing required belief. I love the clip that we just watched when he's walking into the guy and, and, and the first scene, and he steps on the general, and he says, well, people are laughing anyway. Why not make money? Well, it's not really too inspiring. Then he gets on your level and says, I don't see someone who's weak. I see a general. And I see people who are going to salute. That's vision. That's, that's what Jesus is doing to you. You walk in the room. You close the door. And Jesus is saying, listen, I see you are more than a conqueror. I see you're someone who can do all that I've called you to do. So step out in faith. The last thing is this. It always satisfies. John chapter 4, verses 15 and 18. We're skipping ahead a little bit. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Oh, boy. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tough situation. This woman heard of this marvelous water, and she immediately wanted to have it. She was thinking it was literal water. She's like, I mean, I'm telling you, she was thinking of literal water. So she's like, yeah, give it to me. Come on. Like, let's go, Jesus. I don't want to have to come out to this well every day. I don't want to come out here and get water every day. Like, I'm done with that. Just give me the living water. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And culturally, living water sometimes meant a nearby close river, just so you know. It, so it's like, maybe there's like a closer place, like a close river nearby that I don't have to go to. That would be great. What, where is this place, Jesus? She needed something to change because the way that she was going was not working at all. She was in search of satisfaction. 
But Jesus isn't after a temporal fix. He's after an eternal change. I want you to hear that again. Jesus isn't after a temporal fix. He's after an eternal change. He's not after you to temporarily change your wordage that you use when you're driving and someone cuts you off. He's not after just your temporal fix. He's after an eternal change of your heart that satisfies beyond just a sip of water. He's after something that's so much deeper. See, but Jesus is sitting here and, and he's talking about depth and she's talking about whip. Like they're talking about two different things. In verse 16, we don't have it on the screen, but there's an abrupt change in the conversation. Or We had it earlier, and this is very intentional. She asked for water, and Jesus says, go call your husband. What? Why? I'm here. We got the bucket. Let's go. Let's get the water. Here's the thing. Jesus knew it wasn't just water that she needed, but it was healing, it was repentance, and it was restoration. So he says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you don't because you've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. That's the truth. Come on, Laura, give me some, give me some Holy Spirit keys in the back. You know what I mean? We just got to, oh, feeling it. You know what I mean? That's the truth. The dude you're living with now, he ain't your husband. She says, well, you must be a prophet. It's like, oh boy, I'm trying to think of what I want to say because I want to smack you right now. That's, that's the transliteration, you know what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't casting judgment or shame, but he was speaking truth and he was speaking it to the search of her satisfaction. But let me ask you this. I, want, I saw this and I was reading it. And I, saw it for the, I saw it for the first time and maybe it's simple, but I just want to share it with you. Do you think that when he's sitting there, like he gets a download from God the Father and, and he's connected and so all of a sudden he realizes that she's on her, she's been through five marriages and now she's living with a guy she doesn't, you know, she's not married to? Like, do you think like he just got that information? Absolutely not. He knew that on the way there. He knew that when she was walking up. He knew that when he started the conversation. He knew that she was in this search of satisfaction the entire time. And that's why he put himself in her path. Because he is the only one who can satisfy. He knew everything she had ever did. And the first thing he offered her was living water. Something that he didn't offer everyone. At this point, he would. He offered her an opportunity to the greatest gift in the history of the world. See, John says in his gospel that Jesus came as grace and truth. And I actually see this living out practically in this story. Grace and truth. First grace, you want some living water. Here's the truth. You need to repent and get healed of your sin. And let's move forward. He came as grace and truth. And I do believe that it is in that order. He offered her grace in this incredible form of information and truth through her search of satisfaction, through marrying and divorcing people. Jesus wanted to fulfill her search for satisfaction, but you can't be satisfied until you deal with your sin. And God can only heal you to the amount of which you reveal you to him. If you don't reveal you, if you keep that part of you to you, he can't heal it. Because he's not going to we're not rock'em, sock'em robots. He's not going to rip your arm off and put a new one on. But he's going to love you until you realize you need to let it go. He wants her to never thirst again. 
He wants to be your satisfaction. He doesn't judge what you've come from or what you're dealing with. He doesn't judge where you've been. But he simply came to this woman who is arguably the worst person relationally in the entire Bible. She's horrible at relationships. And he offers her an opportunity to be satisfied through grace in Jesus' name. He's offering you the same exact invitation this morning. And I love it. I love that he sat there and waited. So today, today, just like P.T. Barnum, Jesus is knocking at the door and he's recruiting us and he's calling us just like that guy. He's knocking at the door and saying, I see so much more than you can see. I see a general. And Jesus is a come as you are savior. You don't have to clean up to come to him.